Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. If you know me by now, you know that I have given up on the concept of polling. You can't get me to believe a political poll anymore. I got burned in 2012. I got it dead to rights in 2016. I had mixed results in 2020. I got punked in 2022. I'm out. I am out. It's not even a question of whether or not I understand the people. That I understand. It's a question of whether or not the polling in today's world actually and accurately engages the right questions that I can then work with. The pollsters will tell you that they were unbelievably accurate. I was somebody who made the the figuring that there was this shy right voter, which I do believe exists, that would tip the scales in tighter races towards the political right, and it didn't happen. But then the people want to tell me what's well, because, Tony, Republicans had bad quality candidates. And the left ran John Fetterman and Katie Hobbs. So I don't listen to the candidate quality conversation because, well, that's not it. That's obviously not it. But I have not finished my own look at this election and where I got things wrong, where I think pollsters were asking questions that I didn't understand what what the meaning was, you have to go back and take a look at what it is that you've done often when a result doesn't go the way you think it will. But there's still plenty from this midterm election to cheer, especially when we talk about school board races. Uh, And and you're like, oh, it doesn't matter if you don't have control of the Senate. It matters if you have control of your kid's education you got to ask yourself, what is it you're trying to do here? It's the same exact way in which people discount local radio and local television. Oh, you're only a success if you've got a primetime show on Fox. There are four of those shows, and there are 330 million Americans. The odds are unlikely. You're only a success if you're on Fox? Okay. Knock yourselves out with that one. You live that life. I I don't want to be any part of it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com, TonyKatz.Locals.com. That's K-A-T-Z. In case you are curious how it gets spelled, you have to take a look at what it is that you're, you're, you're doing. You have to take a look at when you miss. You have to have a little bit of self-reflection. You have to define and redefine and understand what's happening so you can be better. At least at least that's the way I view it. That's the way I've always done it. When it doesn't work, I go back and ask myself, what's going on here? What did I miss? I, I was describing this yesterday. It's Ayn Rand. You got to check your premise. Check your premises. A contradiction means that there's something wrong in your, in your premise. This was this was her her theory and her belief, and I, and I think an interesting part of objectivism uh, as, as a whole. But I've always appreciated the concept because it ties into something that I believe. You got to go back and check and recheck, make sure you understand what's happening, so you can understand how other things apply. All of that uh, to to say uh, two two things. I don't even know how I got into the Fox thing, but the polling, I don't. You, you can't get me to buy into just one poll, and lately you can't get me to believe polling at all. Which brings me to this story 
uh, CNN piece, most adults in the U.S. consider the quality of the country's health care to be unfavorable. It's Gallup. The share of adults who rated the quality of the nation's health care to be excellent or good dipped below 50%. The share of adults who rated it poor jumped above 20%. Well, I don't know what they're going to do when they need a hospital, but I wish them the best of luck when they head down to the local street corner and say, hey, who here wants to uh, deal with this infection of mine? We should applaud and laud Western medicine and the system we have in the United States, this non-socialist system that we have, we should further embrace it and the innovation that it has created. It is stunning, the advances that have been made and what it is we can do. That is different than how those advances are applied as care. We have discussed this. One of the great problems that we have in America is a complete and total lack of nurses. Because we have a healthcare system that said, nurses, you showing up for work during COVID, you are American heroes. Oh, wait, you won't get vaccinated? You are worthless villain trash. And you threw the nurses out. And you got rid of the nurses that have, uh, what, what do we call that? Oh, it's, it's true in the, the White House press briefing room. Institutional knowledge, that's it. They've been around long enough to know things just by, you know, their existence. The little things, the shortcuts, the tricks, what this doctor's looking for, what that doctor's looking for. If doctors are the ones engaging the care that nurses engage, you're going to have a lot more time before you see your doctor. You're going to be waiting for hours. You also have a tremendous number of things that are falling through the cracks because nurses who are dealing with more patients at a time also have an understanding of what doctors are looking for so they're able to get them the information that that doctor needs or that doctor needs. That comes with experience. They're able to tell, no, 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 you can't give that medicine to that patient because they're also taking this. That comes with experience, right? Those contraindication kind of things. All of those things come with experience. And if you don't have the experienced people, you can't teach the new people those things. That's going to take years to build up that institutional knowledge. You send reporters to the press briefing room. They don't know how to ask a question. They don't know how to run down a story. They're morons. They don't have any way of connecting the dots from past administrations to present administrations and from conversations and stories and scandals and and history to what's happening now and how it all ties together, how it flows together, and how they can then utilize it in their reporting. You eliminate that. Gone. Our lack of nurses is killing us. Killing, literally killing us. It should be a front and center subject, a national security issue, bipartisan. And anybody who makes it partisan is a holy damn fool. Kick them in the butt and then tell them to try and find a hospital to help them with their butt that just got kicked. This should be a no-brainer. And let nurses back on the job, vaccinated or not. They don't have to be vaccinated. You can still spread COVID. You can still catch COVID. Anybody who wants to force vaccinations at this stage of the game is a terrible, awful person and a garbage employer. But since we are the ones that utilize the hospital groups, we should demand from the hospital groups that they just let the nurses work. Also, we should discuss seriously, and this should be, I don't know if this has to be a federal thing or a statewide thing, whether or not we want to offer nurses uh, free tuition. 
and then, of course, negotiate a rate with in-state schools that offer nursing degrees, better rates on that tuition. Because if you offer uh, a, a free tuition, then the schools are going to be like, oh, look, we're getting that sweet, sweet cash. No, 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 no. You got to sacrifice a little, too. Maybe you'll make your money somewhere else. Maybe you'll sell another T-shirt with the school name on it. You don't get to make the money by taking it from those who want to be nurses. Just discussing a theory right here. But go back to this poll. I don't know if I believe any part of this. Because anybody who would say that health care in the United States is poor is a schmuck. It's better in Canada. It's better in England. I I really am not interested in getting into this whole pro-socialist bull nonsense game. I really want no piece of it. If you are still of the mind that healthcare is better in the UK and Canada, you're just not serious about what care is. You're not. A great part of our care can be made better through this nursing problem and fixing it, fixing this shortage and getting them back right where we need them. This can be fixed. But I think if we were really to look at this this polling, it's people who just want to complain because they have this vision of how they're supposed to be cared for. And then once you get uh, past the first parts, I wonder how race played into it. Oh, they didn't take good enough care of me because I'm a woman, because I'm black, because I'm Asian, because I'm Hispanic, because I'm white. How much of this poll is actually complaining? I don't have an answer. If you ask what I'm hearing from doctors, the lack of nurses is a real problem. And if you were to take a look, I think, at what is really happening in hospitals, it all has to do with that nursing conversation. A conversation that can be fixed, that needs to be fixed, and it can be fixed on a statewide level. So let's start there. And then let other states carry it on. Then see what we can do from a federal level. If it even needs that. You're relying on somebody else to fix things? Get a little de Tocqueville in your life. Fix it your damn self. And we can fix it. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. It's all right, people. I got to send you to a a website. Got to make you do some work. Got to make you do some work to oppose House Bill 1133 right here in the state of Indiana. Tony Katz. The House bill is, of course, about tobacco. And as we find from most things that go through any state legislature, everything gets lumped together or everything gets done in the idea of do-goodery and no question is asked about what the carryover effects can be. House Bill 1133 would discuss the idea of characterizing flavor, prohibiting the sale of flavored tobacco products. We've seen this about vapes, uh, vape pens uh, very, very often. I, of course, oppose these bans because their argument is these target children. No, the marketing of two children targets children. And you won't get me to disagree with you there. I'll stand shoulder to shoulder with you there. But if your grandma likes bubblegum flavor, vape, then grandma should be able to do just that. And no member of the General Assembly should be telling 70-year-old women they can't have a bubblegum vape. They're 70-year-old women. 
they got it figured out. And you know what they decided? This is their vice. Leave them alone. In the guise of protecting children, they never question the other damage that's done. What they say is, well, vaping's bad. We're just simply saving lives. I don't believe that to be true, personally. I believe it to be do-goodery and an overreach. But let's save that. Put it to the side for a moment, and let's discuss this idea in House Bill 1133 of characterizing flavor. Well, when you utilize a term like that, you aren't just applying yourself to vape or cigarettes. You can play in the world of cigars. Because in the world of premium cigars, hand-rolled cigars, not the things that you may buy at a convenience store, the things that Tony smokes. Well, there are flavors. I'm not talking about something that's flavored, like, for example, the entire acid line from Drew Estates, and which is uh, uh, something many people enjoy, the Cuba Cuba, the Blondie, uh, etc. I am talking about a cigar that may have significant coffee notes that come from the tobacco. Well, if you say that you can't have characterizing flavor, you would be eliminating a tremendous number of premium cigars from the marketplace in the state of Indiana, doing massive damage to the mom and pop owned cigar shops, which are, we should agree, the the almost entirety. 99%, I would argue without having the data in front of me that 99% of the cigar shops, lounges that you walk into in the state of Indiana are mom and pop owned. 99%. I actually don't know who would be owning the other 1%. You would be affecting them to the point of closure. Now, for the people who are constantly and consistently anti-tobacco, lumping all these things together, they don't care that the cigar shop closes because they believe smoking's bad and look at the good that we're doing. But what they do to a community, what they do to a business owner, and all the people that business owner employs, well, that's damaging work. HB 1133 needs to either be dropped as a total piece of legislation or it needs to fully and completely, explicitly, written into the text, exempt premium cigars and pipe tobacco. Otherwise, you're going to see businesses close everywhere. The PCA, the Premium Cigar Association, of which I am a member, has uh, a site called CigarAction.org, CigarAction.org. There is a, um, uh, it's it's listed, uh, all right, I will put the link up on social media as well. Opposing Characterizing Flavors Bill in Indiana. You click, you fill out, you submit. The, the, Constant and continual tobacco attack is not something I'm ever going to be able to stop. But certainly, I'm not afraid to stand and say premium cigars are not connected to the thing you're talking about with cigarettes or other things. Adults 
smoke cigarettes, not kids. Show You can give me all the studies you will. People don't let kids into cigar lounges. And kids don't spend 10 or $12 on a cigar. That's not how it works. These lounges are frequented by adults. They are parts of the community in which they exist. They are tax bases. And they should be left alone. Adults should be left alone by government. And I would like to start hearing some members of the legislature, Republicans and Democrats, men and women, standing up against Bill 1133 and saying that this is wrong to go after business owners in my district. Big Tobacco as they may want to talk about it, doesn't include the farm in the Dominican or in Esteli or Jalapa, areas of Nicaragua. It doesn't include all that Connecticut shade wrapper there from the Connecticut Valley, things you get out of Pennsylvania. It doesn't include the cigar lounges all around central Indiana that are mom-and-pop-owned. I am stunned at the number of Republican members of the General Assembly, never mind Democrats, who haven't said, wait a second, this is going to do damage to my district. This has to stop. This has to be rethought. I'm, I, I'm surprised I haven't gotten texts. I haven't gotten phone calls, emails. Tony, we're behind this 100%. We're going to make this change here. I mean, there's a whole conversation about cigar taxation. If I have the numbers right, the tax on cigars, is is it 23%? No, it's more than that, right? That's the tax that you're paying on cigars. It's a huge amount of money. But in the state of Michigan, for example, they capped the tax. They still have a percentage, but they capped the tax at a total of 50 cents. So the tax can't be higher than 50 cents. It's it's 20% or 30% or, or 50 cents, whichever is greater. They saved, they reduced the taxes for the stores and they created more revenue for the state. We're going to get into that. But House Bill 1133 is a problem in the state of Indiana. I will be sharing uh, the link on social media, Twitter, and locals, and other places, so you can check it out. I'm asking you to fill it out. And I will be the one leading the mo- the, the, the meeting there on the st- at the State House on the steps, a couple thousand cigar smokers having a nice little capital smoke. Because cigars are not cigarettes. Cigars don't get marketed to children. And those artists who create cigars, and they are artists, they should be able to create what they will. Adults should be able to purchase that product, and government should absolutely stay out of it. I expect to see support from members of the General Assembly immediately. And I'm asking for your help in filling out some of these forms here to have your voice heard to make sure that this House Bill 1133 doesn't endanger business owners across the state. I really do hope you'll be supportive. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. I never fear death or dying. 
So the latest numbers came out for the PPI, producer price index, different than the CPI, the consumer price index. And I said, I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on here, and I don't understand why people are excited about it. Oh, this shows that inflation is coming down. But then you took a look at those retail numbers from December, and you're like, nope. This shows that people didn't spend the way we thought they were going to spend because the prices were too dang high. And the markets have responded to that. So this talk about the producer price index somehow showing us some good news about inflation got countered by a bad month of retail, the only month of retail that seems to matter, by the way. And now the markets have been in this downslide. But the markets are never a conversation about where we are as people. How are we dealing with this on Midwest Main Street? What exactly does the future hold? If I'm reading the tea leaves right, I don't like what 2023 has to offer. But I've got people out there trying to put some sunshine on those third and fourth quarters, making it seem like, guys, things are going to be okay. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, Good to be with you guys, Uh, and if I haven't said hello and you didn't know, we're on now in Bloomington, Indiana, WGCL, and thrilled to be with you as well. I got to come down and say hello and uh, and little Zagrebs and do the whole thing. Dr. Matt Will joins us right now, economist at the University of Indianapolis, and we break down these numbers you you are very focused. You're like CPI. That's that's nothing. That's not the story. What does it cost to actually make the goods? What is it that that the the wholesalers have in terms of stock? These are the things that matter. PPI for the final uh, month uh, declined 0.5 percent in December. What does that? What when you read the report? What did it say to you? <laughs> Tony, the report told me that energy saved Biden's butt because energy dropped 7.9%. If it were for energy, things went up. So let's, let's just keep it, this in perspective. The only reason that the, C, the PPI is down is because of energy. We have a glut of energy coming into the market. And, and again, President Biden needs to go and send a thank you card to all the big oil that he was yelling about for the last few months because they can't turn on a dime, Tony, but they have recovered the energy market. They're producing at higher levels. February, big oil, big oil, the evil big oil will produce in higher levels of shale oil and natural gas than in any month in history next month. And President Biden needs to send them a thank you card and say, I appreciate what you're doing to bring down the cost of energy. When I take a look at the number, the energy number for December of 2022, down 7.9%. Now that's not the biggest drop that has taken place Over the year, I go back to July, down 9.1%. It crept up a little bit in September, October, back down. This is all, if if the Putin price hike, if the, the war in Ukraine was sending energy prices up, what exactly, when you talk about production, how did we get to a more production situation to bring prices down this well? Well, there's two things, Tony. One is, we talked about it before. It was, it's a, it's a liquid it's literally a, a liquid kind of asset. And so it just took some time for Putin to figure out how to sell it to India and China and get around us. So that was one thing. And I told you, we remember on this show, we talked about the fact he will get around it. It's going to take him a few months. And now he's gotten around the rules. So that's one thing. The second thing is energy um, demand is down. 
And, and Tony, I want to get into that. I want to get off the PPI specifically and get into the underlying market conditions as to why, given this good report in quotes, the market dropped 600 points yesterday and why the market dropped 180 points to open today. That's the big story, Tony, because shouldn't a lower PPI cause the market to go through the roof and everyone to be happy and singing and dancing? Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, D-R-M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L, Dr. Matt Will on the Twitter box. You would think, you would think that there was a lot of dancing, So, but there isn't. We take a look at, you talk about energy being down. Now talk about what was up that causes people like yourself, economists like yourself, consternation. Well, let's, let's talk about what was up. What wasn't up? Retail sales were not up. And I want to get into Davos for just a minute. That may put people to sleep. But, oh, but there's, I've been doing we, a lot of Davos being, talk. Matt, there is more anti-capitalism talk going on in Davos than there is in most colleges. But you're correct, Tony. But what's interesting about it is the left-leaning elites of the world are lecturing Biden. He's lecturing. He got lectured. His chief economist on the panel that I was watching was being lectured for the Inflation Reduction Act that it's too much spending. Tony, liberal, left-leaning, socialist governments are lecturing Biden on spending too much money. Is this an upside-down world? That tells you how bad it is. But the retail's the story, Tony. In December, in Christmas season, when things are supposed to be growing and we're supposed to be spending more, retail sales were down 1.1%. Down. Department stores were down 6%. Online sales down 1%. Procter & Gamble, the biggest retailer in the country, Tony, had sales volumes drop 6% when they're supposed to be booming. That's the real story, and that's why the market took a tank yesterday. So the market does what it does, and sometimes it reacts uh, well to news, and as you've described it many times here, uh, it's it's a drug for, for the markets. They get any little bit of good news, they mainline it, and the next thing you know, they're pretending like uh, nothing has ever been wrong. But when we take a look at this PPI, we take a look at this producer price index, this is for you an indicator that things are wrong. What does this tell you about the next six months and the next year in terms of that inflation rate? We already know the Fed has stated they're going to keep rates high and increases will happen well into the future. Has this report, do you think that changes the Fed's outlook? No. No, and the reason is, Tony, because the Fed looks long-term and the news media looks short-term. The news media looks, well, the president passed the Inflation Reduction Act. Well, Tony, remember, that money hasn't been spent yet. The biggest, you know, the biggest problem, again, Tony, people will forget this and it'll put them to sleep. Remember the infrastructure bill that was passed, that multi $1.9 trillion bill? The money hasn't been spent yet because Mayor Pete, and we all know Mayor Pete is above his head in his job, he hasn't spent it yet. He's beginning to spend the money from that. That's going to cause more inflation. The market is nervous about inflation still. Jamie Dimon, the, the poster child for big banks and the financial infrastructure, he said in an interview yesterday, he believes inflation isn't over because of the spending of the U.S. government. Mayor Pete is going to spend that money, Tony, and he's going to cause inflation. Thank you, Mayor Pete. Thank you, President Biden. 
this is money that's still going to be, be spent, and it's still going to be fighting Powell's attempt to keep inflation under control. Go back to Jamie Dimon, uh, the head of J.P. Morgan Chase, because he, in two different interviews, talked about rates heading back over 5% and then rates being over 6%. And in the f- conversation about 5%, he was very doom and gloom, and somehow 6% will all be okay. Uh, now, maybe I read these things wrong. Maybe they were reported wrong. Maybe it was part of a larger conversation and it all got muddied up. I see the possibility of 6% because when we take a look at the federal funds rate, the rate that banks charge each other uh, to borrow money, we can easily see that with the future interest rate increases from the Federal Reserve, from Jerome Powell, the chairman, uh, getting into the 5%. What happens if we do get into a federal funds rate of 6%? How does that affect us on Midwest Main Street? Oh, Tony, it's the, the R word. I mean, recession may already be here, and that's just going to make it more pronounced. But, Tony, it's necessary. It's this battle that we have between Powell and Biden. Is We need inflation lower, and Powell is doing his best to get it lower. But he keeps fighting up against Biden against Mayor Pete against every all the spending going on in this administration and Jamie Dimon's trying to be out of politics, but he's having a tough time doing it because Jamie Dimon's not good as as biting his tongue. He speaks what he thinks and and he sees the need for Powell to kill inflation. He sees the need for the Fed funds rate to go up, and guess what, Tony? That leads to a recession. Jamie Dimon doesn't want a recession, but he predicted it. We all saw it. We've all seen the clips. He predicted in a recession. You talk about the fight between Jerome Powell and the president, Joe Biden. This was Joe Biden just the other day, just earlier this week, talking about Republicans and the deficit. You know, they're going to talk about big spending Democrats again. Guess what? I reduced the deficit last year, $350 billion. And this year... Federal deficit is down $1 trillion plus dollars. Hear me. That's a fact. And there's going to be hundreds of billions reduced over the next decade. But so what? These guys are the fiscally, you know, they're fiscally demented, I think. They don't, they don't quite get it. Joe Biden reducing deficits by a trillion dollars? We, we're supposed to think that this is uh, the facts as he's discussing them? Tony, he took it up to $2.6 trillion. Tony, he took the deficit up to $2.6 trillion in his first year. He spent money like crazy because he had Congress on his side. Tony, yeah, I'll, I'll agree. On paper, it looks like he might drop the deficit to $1.4 trillion, by $1.4 trillion, to $1.4 trillion, Tony, but it was a two point six. Does, does anyone in this room believe that that's cutting the deficit? Let's just jack the number up as high as we can, and then we'll cut it a little and pretend like we reduced it. You know, when the they say they've, they've, they've the created jobs, well, let, me, let me just finish there. When they say they've created jobs, but we still don't have the job numbers back to pre-COVID levels, it seems to be that same conversation. Yes, Tony, we're $5 million short. We're $5 million, $5 million jobs short of where we should be. People keep saying there's a job shortage, and there is if you're trying to hire someone. But, Tony... The government is paying, still paying you not to work. California is still paying you not to work. They're still covering your rent. So don't tell me that we have this great job picture. Employers are short jobs, and there's $5 million below where we were if we were not in the Biden economy right now. 
And Tony, this deficit thing, I got to tell you, the $21 billion deficit we had just in December, just in, I'm sorry, $85 billion in December, it was $21 billion the previous December. So don't tell me that. He's lying when he says that because of the way he's manipulating the numbers. And yes, I could get in trouble for saying the president's lying, but I can show you on CNN, they even reported the bigger budget deficit in December. Before I let you go, you brought up uh, the R word, recession. And I have now had this conversation on air, and I've had this conversation with a couple of people, and it's funny that people believe we are in a recession right now. They believe it based on on what they're hearing and, and what they're seeing. But you know what they also see? People are shopping, restaurants are full, and we hear about retail being down, but our eyes see something completely different. Is there a, is it possible to have a recession and nobody notices? <laughs> um, Tony, you're just looking at different segments. There's, I, it's hard to explain, but there's a very disjointed economy right now. People are spending money on travel, and the price of travel is going through the roof if you try to buy an airplane ticket. Yet the price of gasoline is dropping because people aren't driving and because we're heading into a recession. And the price of natural gas is going up Yet at the same time, the price of natural gas in Europe is going down because of the the, the weather. So, Tony, there's a lot of things that influence it, and the government getting in the middle makes it more confusing. Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, D-R-M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L. Dr. Matt Will on Twitter. Always a pleasure, sir. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. point out the hypocrisy here in Joe Biden and his team's response. They keep saying, oh, this is a legal matter. Go talk to the Department of Justice. Well, the Department of Justice is not supposed to talk to the media. But someone who's being investigated can talk to the media. There's nothing to stop Joe Biden from explaining how those documents got into his home garage or his office, why they weren't secured, uh, and so forth. Um, Of course, he had no problem talking about Donald Trump's uh, classified documents last summer. He saddled up his high horse and rode it hard then. This is all just scandal management and hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a solid point from Senator Tom Cotton there, and one that has now started to come up, and you forget that there is an ongoing investigation into the classified documents that are held by former President Trump, or were held by former President Trump. And Joe Biden had zero problem, and uh, the press uh, briefers, right, whether it was Saki or anybody else, had zero problem telling you what they thought. Now it's an ongoing legal process, and they can't say anything. The, the, the recognition that Corinne Jean-Pierre, I mean, I discussed earlier that, you know, there's an extent to which you could at this stage of the game feel sorry for her as White House press secretary because the Biden administration has given you nothing to work with. They're not giving you any cover. They're not helping in any way. They've been silent for six days. Do I hear seven? It's only going to get worse. You got to feel for her. She's got to go out there every day. But she goes out there every day totally unprepared, unwilling to meet the moment with a hatred of the press corps. This seems more obvious than ever. Much more obvious than ever does this seem when you take a look at how she talks to them, how these conversations go. I mean, I shared this earlier, but holy cow, you you actually think that you can speak to this press corps in this kind of in this kind of way?
he chided former President Trump for having in his possession classified documents. He called it irresponsible. First of all, do you think it was proper for President Biden to comment on an ongoing DOJ investigation? So I'm going to say this, uh, and I'm going to keep it really short today, as it relates to this particular issue, as it relates to an ongoing uh, legal matter, I'm going to refer you to Department of, Just, uh, Department of Justice in, with the, that specific, as it relates to uh, anything that you want to ask of us uh, about uh, this, uh, this legal matter, I would refer you to the White House Counsel uh, Office. I'm, I'm going to leave it there. Not going to go I'm into further. And I just, I, I just commented. I just commented. We're moving on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I already answered your question. Go ahead. Well, I, I did. Well, it's your, it's your opinion. It's your opinion. It's your opinion. That is your opinion. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. The snottiness. It's your opinion. Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like. Your opinion, man. Who knew the Big Lebowski defense would come into play? Oh, that did not go over well with the press corps. Not one single bit. I've been telling you. The press corps is infuriated. They are so angry. And they will start turning on the talking heads who are still trying to defend Biden soon enough. They are going to turn on them. And you're not paying attention to the seriousness of this scandal. Classified documents? Where Hunter Biden was clearly living for a while? Ho, ho. This is bigger than anybody's willing to admit. Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com. Tomorrow, everyone. Take care.